Here's the final segment of our four-part interview with Marty Cooper, inventor of the cell phone. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. You know, in your book, in multiple situations, you've contrasted the the hubris of AT&T's monopoly over Motorola's more consumer-centric approach. Uh, I'm curious, as we're looking out at some of the scrutiny that big tech is facing today, uh, if you see examples of that hubris in you know some of the, the giants that, that are facing scrutiny, whether it's Google or Apple or Facebook uh, or Amazon, do you see more AT&T or more Motorola? Because there is, all of them talk about you know serving the con- consumer and meeting consumers' needs, but I'm curious what your perspective is on on what you think they are or how they're how they're analogous to. Well, first of all, let me suggest that uh, we do have a problem uh, because Google and Amazon uh, and Facebook so they start to look like monopolies in in their narrow areas. I point out to you that these are all very new things, and we haven't really learned how to manage these kind of things yet. Uh, and the problem starts out with the people. People think that they're getting something for nothing. So they provide all their personal information to Google or Amazon or Facebook or all the other social media. Uh, and they think that they're getting value uh, because they get free something. Well, I got news for you. You don't get anything for nothing. Somehow or other, we have to educate people to have them understand that their information, their personal data has value, and they shouldn't be given it away for nothing. They should be. Somehow or other, there has to be equity. Uh, and when we start getting people to understand that, there are going to be competitive offerings that won't uh, steal your information, use your information in ways that you're unaware of. So uh, the same thing that happened to us uh, uh, in 1983 when they split up the Bell system, somehow or other, uh, competitive influences are going to fix that. Uh, I told you before that I'm a dreamer, I'm an optimist. Uh, I think that if people change, and if people make these demands and say, I don't want your free stuff, uh, I, I want to control my own information, there will be people come along that will say, I can do that. I can charge you for my services, and I can pay you for your information. I think that's the solution to the Google uh, uh, Facebook problem, uh, and possibly for the Amazon problem. Somehow or other, uh, having uh, monopolies are bad. If, if we don't have competition, uh, we all suffer in our present situation. Uh, but uh, I'm optimistic that people are smart enough uh, and these things are new enough, so we're still learning how to do it. We are, we're going to fix the problem, but let me tell you, we do have a problem now. When I want to buy something now, I rail about the fact that, boy, I hate it when Amazon has this huge share of market. Uh, but then again, uh, it's so easy to buy something on Amazon. <laughs> no, that's I, I think we're all the same way. Uh, I so I got into the mold beat really as Motorola was seeing its its second or I guess third resurgence with the Razor. So sort of the the Ed Zander era of Motorola. But, but obviously, that company failed to capitalize on the success of the Razor. Uh, I know you, you kind of touch upon this in the book, but I'd just love to kind of get your thoughts on, on what happened to Motorola down the line after really the, the, the highs of, of pioneering the cell phone industry to you know, essentially being you know, acquired uh, and then 
sold and moved around by various uh, companies down the line? Well, uh, I don't want to give you a lecture on capitalism right here, <laughs> but uh, in a competitive environment, you have to be paranoid. You've got to stay ahead of them or, or get ahead of them. And the minute you develop the hubris that says, I'm better than everybody else, I don't have to worry about them, you're in deep trouble. And I think that's what happened uh, at Motorola. They were doing so well with the uh, Razor. Uh, they were, in fact, partly because of the work that my team and I did, they were the leaders in cellular. And they got complacent. They thought that they could control the market. They held back on digital uh, technology uh, because they believed that analog technology would last longer than other people thought. And it turns out they were right about that, but the world didn't accept that. The world wanted digital, and people got ahead of Motorola in the digital area, uh, and uh, the rest is, is history. Yeah, and in the end, you know, Motorola is now owned by Lenovo, a Chinese company. Bell Labs, you referenced, you know, Alcatel had scooped up a lot of those assets back in the day. It, too, had been kind of merged or acquired. Uh, a lot of the innovation, particularly in mobile, uh, is happening outside of the U.S. now. Uh, I guess short of Qualcomm being you know, one of the exceptions. I'm just curious what you think about that and the fact that a lot of the, the push for where mobile is going is happening now outside of the U.S. as opposed to in it. Well, I think that's a good uh, good thing. You know, I'm I'm uh, uh, proud of being an American. I want to see American uh, uh, maintain its leadership. I'm very proud of the fact that our system, our version of democracy, has been adopted by most of the countries in the world and by all of the successful countries in the world. Uh, on the other hand, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a flat world where countries were competing with each other? where they, everybody treated uh, the situation the same as they do in business. And let's keep ahead of other people. That kind of competition is desirable. So I would love to see other countries producing things. Interestingly enough, most of the technology today is still being produced uh, in the United States. A lot of the manufacturing, most of it's being done elsewhere, uh, although some of that's reversing. We're, we're starting to build cars again to a greater extent than, they, uh, than we did before. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm not at all co uh, concerned about that as long as we don't get complacent. The, the advantage we have you know, over some of the countries that are competing with us is the ability to express yourself freely and to take chances. Uh, uh, I think uh, those two uh, issues uh, we excel in that uh, more than uh, any other place, and especially China, because uh, China is our biggest uh, competitor at the moment, uh, and they're doing very well. They have a hierarchical system. They decide they want to do something. Uh, the boss can tell people, just do this. Uh, in our system, we're more uh, self-organized. I think that's a huge advantage uh, over the long term. I think the, uh, some of the other countries have short-term advantages, but over the long term, you're going to see that the creativity will still come out of countries like the U.S. Uh, and Europe and the U.K., uh, just because they have the freedom of expression uh, and uh, a uh, capitalist system. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about the, the negative impact of tech in general. 
Um, obviously, with, with cell phones, there's the addiction to our phones. I know, for one, I'm rarely without a phone at this point. What do you make of the idea of that? Is that, uh, and from a, from a kind of a net basis, is this a, a positive and negative? Our, our, you know, our digital addiction versus the the benefits that have come from having a phone. Well, Roger, I have an abiding belief in people. I think people are smart. I think that the world uh, is better today than it ever has been in uh, every measurable respect. Uh, yes, we are self-critical of a, a lot of things. We've got a long way to go in many areas, but we're going to figure out the, the digital thing. So, uh, and, and ultimately, it's going to benefit us. Uh, I know that people complain about the fact that, uh, as an example, uh, 30% of the people crossing the street are looking at their cell phones, and, and, uh, which is probably the most stupid thing anybody could do. Uh, but at some point, somebody's going to figure out that the uh, the death rate of people crossing the street watching their cell phone is much higher than normal. And they'll, they'll work it out. So uh, uh, there are social problems. You can see children getting together and sitting around a table, and they're all looking at their cell phones. You think, oh, they're getting addicted. That's terrible. Well, think about the fact that a lot of what they're doing is talking to other people. And maybe maybe that form of communication, that social uh, media, is more effective than face-to-face. You know, my, my gut feeling is that it's a combination. That, that the combination of social media, the ability to communicate at a distance, uh, that uh, combined with face-to-face communications uh, with the right balance, uh, I think is ultimately going to be a good thing. And it's just a matter of our figuring it out. Great. Well, the final question, and this is just a fun one. I know you just held up a original Dynatac, which is not a commercial model. I'm just curious, what is the oldest cell phone that you have in your possession, one that you think you reasonably suspect still works? Uh, well, uh, the only, the best way I could say that is the simplest phone that I have that still works is I have the uh, original jitterbug phone. You know, my wife invented this phone that's called the jitterbug uh, that was uh, that is a flip phone, yeah, but it's a flip phone. It looks a little bit like a razor, uh, and it does nothing but talk and listen, uh, and uh, I guess it, it also does texting. Uh, but uh, that phone was designed for people that were looking for simplicity, that only wanted to talk, and listen, and they were quite satisfied with that. And it turns out they're a big segment of the public that wanted that phone, providing that it was simple. So then we came up with that Jitterbug phone, oh, I guess about 11 or 12 years ago. Uh, and there are still people buying versions of that phone today. Uh, and the old one works just as well, and it's just as easy and simple to work uh, as, the, uh, as the new phones. So uh, that happens to be the oldest phone that I have now. I shouldn't say it. I think I got a Nokia phone. <laughs> it has to be 20 years old. And if I fire it up, the, the battery still works. It'll, it'll still work uh, because the uh, 2G technology is still being served uh, in some places. By, by the way, I should mention, Roger, uh, you read in my book about the IMTS phone. That phone was developed in 1962 is when it was first announced. It was a car phone. It was huge. 
thing like 30 pounds. You have to wire it into the car. There are still some INPS phones in some remote locations that are still working today, and they are 60 or 70 years old. So some technology survives. Yeah, that's that's impressive uh, given... Yeah, even like a five-year-old phone right now, I'd be tempted to, to shove into a cabinet and never look at again. So a 60-year-old car trunk phone, that's that's impressive. Well, Marty, thank you for your time. This has been Martin Cooper, inventor of the cell phone and author of the new book, Cutting the Cord. Thanks, Marty. Thank you so much, Roger. Great to talk to you. And thank you so much for uh, reading the book and, and understanding it. That uh, was uh, heartening to me. And that's a wrap. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation. Either way, let me know on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up to send me direct messages at cnet.co slash daily charge. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.